Snap goes high over the head of Big Ben, all the way back to the two, to the one, and the Browns have it in the end zone, and they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown! Not a bad start. It's the gleam, man. There's a gleam. He's going for Landry down by the end zone. A tumbling catch for a touchdown. Touchdown, Nick Chubb. Mayfield's got the snap. Looks right, throws right, end zone. Touchdown. Anybody, it's the same old Browns. You, it's not the same old Browns. This is different. Hey, everyone. Welcome in. This is not the same old Browns podcast presented by the OBR. I am your host, Andy. I'm Stephen Thomas. And this is episode 15. Um, it's cool to have a, a, a co-host come in and help me with that. Uh, I, always, I always felt like I was under the pressure there. but uh, um, That extra three quarters of a second that I saved you, that, that <laughs> yeah. makes that much of a difference in the intro? Uh, absolutely, it does. Okay, it re- cool. It really does. And the, and the way you put that, <laughs> even though you put it that way, it still does. Yes, absolutely. Um, so th- this is episode 15. Um, we got another, uh, we got a guest here today with us. Uh, He's been on the show before. Uh, he came on in episode seven, which was titled The Man Behind the Curtain. Uh, that would be Mr. Lane Atkins, insider for the OBR. What's going on, Lane? Hey, what's up, Andy? What's going on? Not much, man. Welcome. Welcome back. I tell you, the last episode I had you on, man, like uh, the feedback on that was tremendous. You went on to do this podcast world tour. I'm just glad that I was your first stop in the tour, man, because that, that really meant a lot. So there was a method to the madness. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we going to talk about today, guys? Because we're still in the dead zone of the NFL schedule a little bit. However, there was OTAs and Browns minicamp. Um, there were some some, it you know, it's helmets and shorts, <laughs> but. I will say one thing I took from minicamp, and you guys can chime in on this. Steven, you can chime in on this as well. One thing I took away from it was it was cool to see, to hear from the guys uh, like Baker and Denzel Ward and Nick Chubb and, and Jadavion Clowney and Stefanski uh, hear, hear everyone talk. And there were some, especially the Chubb and Denzel Ward uh, pressers really kind of struck me a little bit because their contract co- talk came up a little bit. Um, yeah. What were some takeaways uh, so far? What were some takeaways that you had from uh, minicamp, minicamp lane? Well, you know, you, you t- touched it off right there when you talked about Nick Chuck and Denzel Ward. I mean, interesting guys that, you know, contracts were coming up. I mean, you know, Nick Chubb now, it's uh, six weeks out that they first engaged on having any kind of conversation. And it's about five weeks now on Denzel Ward. Wow. So, so obviously there's, going to be some movement happening here. I mean, I, I anticipate at least one of these guys getting signed here this summer. Wouldn't surprise me if it's Nick Chubb, uh, but you know, right now it's just too early to call, but yeah, there's, there's discussions. So you, as it stands right now, you think Nick Chubb would be the first of any of these Browns players with contracts coming up to, to get, to get extended. Well, the, the Chubb situation is further along than anybody else's. I sure. mean, they pretty, they pretty much have a, a barometer or where somebody like Baker is going to fall. Right. Uh, you know, Denzel, there's numbers out there. It gives you an idea where he's going to fall. Chubb's going to be the interesting one because it's not a certainty that we're going to look at maybe a, a Derrick Henry type contract. 
there's going to be some more of an incentive-laden type deal. But that discussion continues on, so it's promising that the Browns are that interested. And, you know, obviously listen to Nick Chubb talk in his press conference, you know, this is where he wants to be. Yeah, he was very, very – both Denzel and, and Chubb's pressers really struck with me. And I, I tell you, Stephen, you can talk up a little bit about this too if, if, if this is what you gauge. It really gauges that this whole locker room is all in, man. Like, they're just all in on, on the goal of a Super Bowl. They're all in on what Stefanski is doing. And I just, it, just screamed, it, it just screamed to me that from listening to Denzel Ward and Chubb talk. Well, yeah, I mean, those are the things that, you know, every, and you can attest to this lane, every summer, you know, whoever has a V contract situation on whatever team, they always say the right things. And you could easily write what they set off as, oh, they're just playing the game. And of course, that's what they're going to say, or however you wanted to phrase it. But it didn't feel like that. I'm with you, Andy. It seemed genuine. And when you take it in the context of uh, what we've heard and seen from these guys since the loss to the Chiefs, the, the attitude, the focus, the... Uh, the accountability of themselves and others within the just it's just a whole different attitude than we've seen in a long long time in Cleveland it just it struck me as very genuine and I find it interesting like because I said something in uh, in last week's um, things I've thought just a random thought I said there's I think there's going to be a surprise extension this summer um, and I, I really didn't think it was going to be Nick in my head. I'm not going to say who I thought it was, but I find it fascinating and encouraging that you think it's going to be Nick because, you know, I mean, you have your, your, your finger on this pulse and, uh, it makes perfect sense. Uh, if you say, you know, that he's the furthest along as far as discussions, but, um, if you, if you had to guess right now, and for, first of all, I'd like to say two minutes into my very first co-host episode, Lane's dropping friggin' bombs here. Yeah, is, I know. Six weeks. Awesome. Talks go back six. <laughs> listen, make sure we have this right, Lane. Talks go back with Nick Chubb's contract six weeks and Denzel Ward's five weeks. Is that correct? Yeah, that's when that's when everything was initiated five and six weeks ago. Wow. So if you had to if you had to put your money down, if Vegas had a betting line right now for for Nick, more than three years or less than three years? Just, just, and obviously we're not going to hold you to this or anything like that, but just if you had to guess at this exact moment. I'm looking in that three to four year range. Nice. Wow. This is exciting. We, we've all been talking about this for over a year now because we know it's coming. Um, and, and good point by Lane, you know, it's Baker and Baker's got that extra year to, to worry about because he's got that, you know, a fifth year option and all that. Where Chubbs, you know, this is it's time to get Chubb done right now. Yeah, I, I'm. I know historically they say you, you you shouldn't pay running backs, but man, damn it, Nick Chubb's different. He's just he's just different for me. He's just yeah, a, he's a different you know, player. You see running backs that they you know they begin to fall off the map, so you always had that concern. That's why maybe some of the incentive laden deal could be involved in this thing. But you also have to look at that. When you look at the heart and soul of what the Cleveland Browns do, they want to run the football. They want to be tough. They want to be physical. You got a guy who can go on cut and go, you know, he just makes that offense that much better. And you can say, yeah, well, you got Kareem Hunt. Well, Kareem Hunt's a different guy. Right. Um, you know, not taking anything away from what he does, but you're, you're, you're looking at a, you know, you can say you got a dynamic duo because you got two guys who can just do it and get it done. You know, and the Browns in, you know, 2020, you know, they, they surfaced. They began to show who they are and what they can be. And that was because of the leadership and everything that, 
you know, a company getting Stefanski in here, a new coaching staff, people respecting, people listening, people buying into it. You know, so you go into 2021, you know, after that, that heartfelt defeat in Kansas City, knowing that, you know, you're on the cusp. You have a chance to do that. That's why these guys are buying in. I mean, that's why a local guy like Denzel Ward, you know, he's mm. telling you, I want to stay in Cleveland, man. I mean, right. this this is what it is. So you, you have that rare opportunity now. Well, and I mean, it dovetails with, you know, how many of the, especially the bigger free agents, when they interviewed them after they signed, why did you come to Cleveland? They, well, they got something special brewing here. I want to win. You know, all those quotes and everything, it dovetails right along with that. And as far as the running back things goes, uh, I I think what most people are envisioning is the wild overpays of the last few, you know, the Le'Veon Bell type contracts and that kind of stuff. And I, I, I mean, I guess I could be wrong, but I would be st- Stunned if Andrew Barry signed that kind of contract with anybody that much over market. So yeah. I think Lane, correct me if I'm wrong, but what people when they say don't pay running backs, what they really mean is don't wildly overpay to right. some stupid level running back. Give the guy what he's worth, but right. don't you know hamstring your team for the running back position. Is that a, a good way to to sort that, of frame yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good analogy. They're not going to go just ape shit and you know sign sign Nick Chubb to this right. crazy ass. Le'Veon Bell type of deal, but there, you know, something's going to go down here where it's going to be reasonable for both sides. And, you know, what, what it is, is that both sides are, you know, pretty agreeable and responsible and respectful to the process. So it's going to be interesting to see what transpires, but it's good that, you know, we know that, you know, they started to engage six weeks back. So there's been a lot of room and opportunity. One, one player that kind of created a little buzz at at mini camp. He's a player that, uh, you've been saying for months, Lane, that was way ahead of schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that being Odell Beckham Jr. Holy shit, guys! Um, I don't know. He, he's a freak human being. I, how could it, if I tore my ACL, I, I'd be a mess for two years. This guy's freaking out here making wild cuts and doing wild drills. Seven months, eight months later, uh, you, you've been reporting on this, and you've had this scoop for months lane uh mm-hmm. i mean going back to what january i think if, correct me if i'm wrong yeah right in that area yeah yeah right in that area so just kind of elaborate on that a little bit uh things you've heard things you've seen uh from what obj showed at uh minicamp well you talk to people and you, you get a grasp on what's going on with him you know back in late december january when we were told that you know his progress was in the upper top two percentile of all ACL injuries that are comparable to what he had, you know, it, it just, it just tells you that he's, that he's a special individual and, and he's working. There's nobody, you know, you know, you got people in national media throwing all this diva bullshit out there and, you know, Odell this, they're trading them that, you know, there, there's nobody that's going to outwork this guy. This guy's on a mission. He wants to win. He wants to be great. You know, it's not just about him. Him missing that half of the season may have been the most traumatic thing that has happened to him in his career outside of not winning a Super Bowl or breaking an ankle. You know, this guy was in. Right. And, you know, he's playing with Jarvis, you know, and him and Baker and everybody, they get along. And the opportunity, you know, he feels was just grasped from him. And, you know, he's going to come back and odds are he's going to come back a better Odell Beckham, which is going to be interesting to see because he's already showing mentally and he's showing physically that, you know, this, this guy is just 
he's off the charts. He shouldn't be anywhere he is. So now you're going to get an opportunity to see a, a humbled OBJ sliding and finding his role in this offense, which the offense is going to be better just because of the speed and the dynamic that he possesses. So it's, it's good. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Let's make sure he stays healthy. Let's keep him on that trajectory rate it is because, you know, he's inside the top 2%, which is just uncalled for, uncanny. <laughs> you just, you just, you, you can't put a, a finger on it. So, you know, and, and that was the best thing about when all these videos and all this shit started coming out showing what he was doing. And, you know, we're just scratching our head, looking at each other here at the Seriously. OVR going, going, you know, this is what we said. And now you're seeing it. Right. Hearing is one thing, but actually seeing this guy do this crazy shit, that's a different ballgame. And I think, Lane, uh, as well, too, I mean, like you said, and uh, we've touched on both in print and, and other places uh, in those months since then, uh, missing out on that run was unbelievably frustrating for him because yeah. he saw how close they were and the difference he could have made. And also that's another factor. He's not only is he, you know, humbled, but he's pissed. Uh, you know and, and he's hungry odell. exactly hungry pissed odell is a scary odell if you're if you're a defensive back but also i think yes he's going to make the offense better just by his presence and his skill set and all that kind of stuff but the fact that baker well everybody really but it's, you know specifically baker is more comfortable within the offense now than even you know week whatever it was seven when he went down they grew so much in the offense got more comfortable anticipating instead of reacting that kind of stuff He's going to know how to better utilize Odell within that within that system. So it's sort of a, a double edged thing that's going to I think we're going to see just a, a tremendous number 13 out there this year. Well, it just tells you about the coaching of Kevin Stefanski and Van Pelt, because what they did is when they went into that bye week, they just threw they just threw some shit out of the playbook. They went to what Baker does best. Right. What suits the personnel best. And you've seen a little bit of change of philosophy in the evolution of the offense that we kept talking about in the second half of the season last year, which you're going to see continue here in the 2021. It was, you know, getting Baker comfortable that, yeah. he, you know, he didn't have to do things that he really didn't feel. And, you know, they did a great job with him there. It's going to be interesting to see when they when they get OBJ back into that climate because, you know, you're going to see a more a confident and more comfortable Baker Mayfield. You know, you're not likely to see some of that pressure that was in place a season ago trying to get the ball to Odell. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting thing. And, you know, people miss the point here with Odell. They're saying, oh, he really didn't do a lot. And the only problem is if you go back and you look at the film from week one to when he was injured, there was approximately 44 times that Odell Beckham, if the ball would have went to Odell Beckham, we had a different situation going on here. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of that, too, like we talked about uh, last summer and you talked about endlessly. And it's where I when I came into the OBR last summer, I uh, sort of picked up on it in my writing for anticipating last season was the system that Stefanski brings in takes time. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they knew it, but they didn't have it perfected like they were. Like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, early in the year, they were reacting and thinking rather than just anticipating and knowing and just about the time <clears throat> excuse me that they were starting to get more comfortable in it we had Odell go down and then the month the three monsoon games so everybody keeps yeah. talking about you know the last you know eight games or whatever it was I think that you know quote-unquote turnaround for Baker and the offense in general actually happened 
about a month earlier than that, but the weather just tamped yeah. it down to the point where you couldn't really see it in the stat sheet. So yeah. I think what, what you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is they were just starting to get comfortable within the offense when he got hurt. So the people saying that he didn't fit in or they're better without him and all that other crap, it wasn't really the right uh, you know, sample size yet. The, the second half of the season is more the sample. Am I, am I looking at that right? Yeah, you're looking at it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's correct. <clears throat> what happens is, is that you've just seen them evolve. You see them get comfortable and you see them start opening things up. You know, everybody's under this impression that they're going to run eight tight ends and you know, nobody else is going to be on the field. Right. You know, and, and that's not, that's not where this is going. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, you're, you're going to see, you're going to, jumbo and you're gonna have a bunch of tight ends on the field here and there but you know that's not going to be what this team just primarily does unless something really bad happens where right. that has to be your point of target but it's going to be rest i just want to see him get into camp get here in the end of july get in camp get on the practice field and just do the work because everybody can look like a paper champion you got to get it done on the field right yeah, it frustrates me more than it should, but the question that has been pestered through all uh, Browns media, social media for the last year is, are the Browns better without Odell Beckham Jr.? And I think it's absolutely the most buffoonery, silliest question one could ask, because at the end of the day, he is an elite athlete. He is an elite player. The dude just needs to stay healthy. That's it. And I'm pulling for him, and he's hungry. And I can't wait. I, just, to, I can't wait. I just find no sensibility to that type of comment. It just it, may, it just makes no sense to me. You're talking about an elite receiver when he's healthy. Yes, he's had issues being healthy. There's been issues within Cleveland coaching and scheme and philosophy and, you know, changing the head coach and offensive coordinator every 15 minutes. You know, you have an entire offseason and the same staff comes back with the same offensive personnel coming back. So all you're going to do is evolve and keep going forward. Absolutely. So anybody, anybody who's sitting out there and, you know, wants to scream Odell sucks and, you know, he doesn't, <laughs> you know, that, you know, they should, they should, they should trade him for a box of rocks and a peanut, you know, something, you know, you know, jump on the train now because, you know, come December, you're going to be wanting to ride this train because this team has that potential to be arguably nearly as good or if not as good as any team in the AFC. Absolutely, man. Uh, one position group that's that Stephen and you and I already talked about this one position group, I guess the competition of this particular position group really fascinates me because they've acquired via the draft and free agency, like 36 players at this position. It seems like that being uh, interior defensive line, defensive tackle. Uh, they got a lot of boys in that room, man. A lot of big boys in that room. Um, you've got, uh, one that's intriguing to me that's, that I find interesting is Andrew Billings, who we all know opted out for COVID, uh, mm -hmm. last year. Um, there've been some reports and there are even some pictures I saw. He looks a little out of shape a little bit, but he is a big dude. Um, how do you see that defensive tackle room shaping out, uh, through, through into training camp, through training camp in the preseason, and then the final roster. I think it's going to be a, a train wreck of bodies. <laughs> I know, dude. You know, getting getting Fuck. to the end of this thing because, <laughs> dude, you're just, dude, there's 8,000 defensive tackles in the room. And, you know, Andrew Billings is one big man. <laughs> 
He's and, two big men. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's a monster. He'll he just pick all three of us up and just like launch us. You know, I mean, he's just he's just he's just one strong guy. You know, people are getting like, oh, hey, he looks big, he looks fat. Oh, you know, something. It's you know the middle of June. Yeah, and you have, you know, you have a month and a half almost until training camp starts, and then you have all the training camp. So, right, you know, it, it's not really a, a concern. He's going to be where he needs to be when it comes time. And he was brought in here because he's that guy who can play the inside the interior defensive line, who's going to take up space, who is strong, who's not going to get blown up. Uh, he's just. It was an excellent acquisition. It was just too bad that the oh. whole COVID thing a year ago, yeah, everything had happened. I mean, but really, when you get down to it, you know, the interesting stuff's going to be is like, does a does a Jordan Elliott develop? You know, sure. What does a Malik McDowell do? Right. You know what? What's the role of Damian Square? You know, who's just he's just a solid workman like type right. guy. And then you throw in then you throw in rookies. You know, you got Tommy T from Ohio State who. You know, yeah. arguably in the second half of the se- a year last year was their best defensive player who has done some good things in, you know, shorts and skins for what it is when you get into these OTAs. <laughs> you know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what transpires because he just got a lot of size. You know, it, we're not even – we haven't even thrown Jadavian Clowney in the mix. Who's going to play some inside? Sure. Right? Or a free agent acquisition in Malik Jackson. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out because there's just just um there's more bodies at this position than you can throw freaking water on you. It's just crazy. It's so funny, Lane, because I had you on like literally a week before the draft, and I I might even brought it up then, but I was talking about it then. Like, yeah, I I feel I felt like I was. I was talking about the depth at defensive tackle more than most. I think, I think for whatever reason, it was just a bigger concern for me than most. And well, Barry listened because he signed 36 since then. So, I mean, you, you even got uh, the, uh, the undrafted uh, free agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Marvin. Is it Marvin Wilson? Yeah. Marvin yeah. Wilson. Uh, Sheldon Day is still there. Yeah. And it, it, the, the thing is with Marvin Wilson though, man, this guy was such a highly touted prospect yes mm-hmm. who you know in florida state you know they played him out of position a little bit you know and had him gain weight and there was some problems with the coaching staff and he just got an attitude but you know if, if they get this guy right this guy's mm-hmm. got a chance right i mean it's just it's just like going back to malik mcdowell when you just look at the defensive tackles and defense alignment you couldn't help but see number 58 <laughs> McDowell just he just looks the part and right sure he hasn't been on the field in four years so you don't know what you're gonna get but sure damn but damn if, if this guy really has turned that corner and this means everything to him watch out man yeah the uh the talent was never the question with him uh during his his draft cycle and since obviously but that's the thing and those you actually touched on two of the questions uh that I had as far as the IDL one what was the nature of of his injury because he he missed the second and, and third day i think of uh of uh, minicamp and then it, it, we've heard whispers that togei was really impressive and everything and obviously offensive and defensive line probably is the hardest to evaluate when you're in shorts and helmets but on that topic of togei did he what have you heard did, did he really impress the coaches or was that just you know, uh, media looking, looking for something to talk about because it's yeah. June, you know, that well, kind of, those were the two questions I wanted to throw your way in this position group. 
when you always get these guys together in, in this format, there's always going to be guys that are just there. There's going to be guys that are very studious and there's guys just that show some kind of physical uh, demeanor or being imposing or just, just outright nasty. And, you know, Tommy Togi, I was just physical and quick learning and nice. man, when he got, get your hands on you, man, he just, he's, he has a chance to really do some things here. Mm-hmm. It's just going to, it's going to be interesting to see what happens just because of the raw numbers that they have. But, you know, a guy like him, he's, hmm. he, he's different, you know, and I'm not one of these rah-rah guys. I don't get into all that hoopla. And there's all that BS about guys, you know, but there's some good notes on this guy. So it's going to be interesting to see. I want to see him when they get in the camp and, you know, it's 90 degrees and you're, you're beating the hell out of each other, right? you know, and, <laughs> you know, when you really have to maintain your gap integrity or you have to leverage, <laughs> you know, you know, when you start seeing that happen, then you get turned on to buy why what could happen down the road, you know, but right now he's doing all the right things. So you, you have to be happy and satisfied that, you know, middle of June, this guy has shown at least that initial ability right. to play at this level. And I, I told Steven this last week and Steven, you, 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 you know more about these prospects and follow the draft even more than I do. And I'm even wise enough to realize that Tommy Togiai, where they got him was, was kind of a steal there. <laughs> like it was, I didn't think he was going to make it to the fourth round. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think any of us did. That um, shouldn't happen. Yeah, what happened there? It was is there any explanation? It was just one of those things where just the teams on the board just wasn't a fit, or I mean, like, is there any reasoning to that? Because at the end of the day, I thought he was a guaranteed day two guy. But what do I know? You know, I was expecting to see him late in the second or in the third. I didn't expect him to go where he went. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anybody did. I know I definitely can tell you that the folks at Ohio State did not anticipate <laughs> that either. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, but. You know, things happen. The draft, the draft played out a little strange in areas, and sure, yet you, you had some runs, and then you just had some teams who just made some very strange, strange picks. You know, so you know, with Tommy Togi, it was another situation that the Browns could be the the grand benefactor of just how this draft played out, much like it did when you know they moved up and got JOK. You know, it's just it's one of those things, and it's it's. That's what happens when you have a personnel department that is really, really in depth in what they do. And, you know, there's not many stones that get unturned there. And, you know, they went outside of their box a little bit, but, you know, this is a guy who, you know, you can sit in the inside and for years to come, if he proves to be the real deal. Yeah. I think the back end of that, uh, as interested as we all are in the front end, obviously in Malik Jackson and, Andrew Billings and, you know, Will Billings, is he out of shape and blah, blah, blah. We're all interested in that, obviously. But I think the back end of that is going to be just as fascinating because, I mean, we've talked about it. There's like eight names that you could legitimately make a case for. And they're going to keep, you know, either four or at the max five. So what's um, and and personally, I don't think there's any way they get Marvin Wilson through waivers. Yeah. Um, uh, And so with Malik McDowell, like you said, Lane, I mean, and I think we touched on this last week. You could tell me, you could predict that he's going to end up being the number two interior defensive line guy in a critical cog. You could predict that he's going to be cut by the second week of camp and anything in between. I mean, you have no idea what you're going to get with that guy. You right. mentioned, how do you cut Damien uh, Square? 
how, how do you cut your third round pick from last year, Jordan Elliott? So, I mean, I think I, I've been saying this for a while now. I think they're in a position where they could be the beneficiary of some of those last week of camp trades that we see every year, mm-hmm. just because they're going to have not only at this position group, but I think especially at this position group, they're going to, I mean, they're just going to have to cut some rosterable players. There's just not enough spots on the 53. So I think that back end is going to be fascinating. Other than Marvin Wilson, this is sort of dovetails into my next uh, question for you. Are there any, and it's super early, are there any other UDFAs that you saw or heard things about at minicamp that you think have a legit shot uh, at the 53? I think it's just way too early. You got to yeah. get these. You got to get these guys on the field where they're doing some. Yeah. I mean, you can make any player look good in shorts and skins, right? Um, unless they just can't, unless they just can't move, um, or they're like four hundred and twenty pound Ted Washington, where you just don't even go through any of those things. Right. I mean, I mean, you guys that may not be old enough for Ted Washington. So oh, I remember. <laughs> oh, I remember Ted Washington. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know, it's just one of those things that you have to really get here in, in J- late July and get them on the field and find out because it's, it's a roster that's, it's deep. You're, you're going to cut some players here that it's not customary to see happening in Cleveland, you know, over the past 20 years. Yeah. Rich I mean, people problems, man. Right. I mean, you get right down to it. You're going to cut guys that can play this game and that's just the way it is. And yeah. that's, that's what happens when you become good, legitimate, talented, you know, so it's going to happen. So, you know, let's let's get to the end of July and get through August and let's yeah, see what happens. I'm with you. Kind of kind of piggyback off that a little bit. It, You know, this is my first year. You know, I just started this podcast in, in March. So I'm new to the NFL calendar of, you know, talking Browns and covering Browns in a content creation platform like this. Um, you guys have been doing it for a while. Lane, you've been doing it since I was freaking seven years old. Shit, I thought it was coming on to talk about Wes Craven and stuff. So, you know, I mean, you, you guys are doing football shit at me. I, I know. Idea. Look at the on? hat, baby. You notice the hat I'm wearing? Yeah. That's for you, Big Daddy. When do we get to breaking down Leatherface film? <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. And, Stephen, you've been doing this for over a year now for the OBR. This is – Lane, let me, let me ask you this. This has got to be the shittiest time of the year to – cover the Browns, right? May and June. It's got to be the shittiest because there's like, it's like you said, it's, it's, it's first we had involuntary workouts where all week, the whole, every question, why isn't Baker there? Why isn't the I offense there? Oh my, I don't know because it's fucking called involuntary. Maybe that's why. <laughs> it, it, the social media craze has just <laughs> created this vast <laughs> fucking insanity about Let's get everybody's picture because they went and go to a voluntary workout. Right. Well, it's, you know, guys get together. They do work together. It's not a big deal. I mean, no. you want a story? You want a story? OBJ was there. That that's that's the biggest highlight of the story. That the wide receiver showed up and hung with his people. <laughs> it's it's this like I'm experiencing this for the first time, and I get why people. Like, you know, people who have covered the Browns and I've seen it over the years that, you know, like this is the dead zone of the NFL calendar, May and June. And I really get it because there's really not much to talk about. And you as someone who's kind of doing content creation for the Browns, it's it makes it a little 
you know, you got to you got to kind of come up with things to pass that time. But that's kind of piggybacking one off. You said once we get to July and then everything can kind of just, you know, the top and Stephen, you and I have talked about this, too. The topics once training camp in the preseason, especially the season starts, topics are just served to us on a on a, on a freaking silver platter. Right. So it, it's just so funny right now. It's just it, we're in the doldrums of of the NFL calendar and, you know, arguing about involuntary, voluntary workouts, uh, you know, talking about how good a guy looked, looked like in skins and shorts, as Lane said. But, you know, that's that's why. But you know what's funny? Browns fans love this. They they love they love talking about it because they're sick. They're sick, let me, Lane. Let me throw this to you. You want the politically correct answer, or you just want the unabated truth? Mm-hmm. Mm. I would say the unabated truth. After you get through the draft and you sign some undrafted free agents and you do a, a mandatory camp, mm-hmm. I could care less what goes on <laughs> until training camp. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as, some, as long as somebody isn't shooting somebody, right? Kill, killing somebody, or getting hammered and laying in a float in Las Vegas somewhere. <laughs> it, it, it none of it matters. Right. These guys, these guys, this is their time that they're going to recharge. This is our time to recharge. And I get Browns fans being all excited and hyper and pumped up, and you know, when every bit of freaking news there is, I get it because you know something, you ain't one shit in over twenty years. Damn right. You know, some of these Browns fans weren't even born. So, you know, fuck, I get it. I'd be yeah. pumped too. But it you know, is, you know, but I'm prehistoric. So, you know, to me, it's like, I've seen all this shit before. You know, I'll see you in July. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing in July, starting in July, we can actually talk about football. Right. Now here, this is the time of year where we talk about sort of football, you know, but, yes. but like you said at the beginning of this segment, Lane, the 24-hour news cycle and the social media and all that, it's created this. I look at it as the Audrey too, man. It's just constantly <laughs> saying, feed me. Feed me Seymour. Because you have to give it something to talk about. Because if you don't, it'll make shit up that it shouldn't be talking about. And then suddenly that becomes fact. So I think, I think you know, and if I could toot our own horn a little bit, I think we here at the OBR have tried really, really hard not to veer off into you know, clickbait bullshit, you know, Hey, no. let's you know, the skip Baylissing of media. We try really hard not to do that, but that presents such a challenge this time of year. Cause like you said, Lane, there's just, I mean, I was excited last week and I tweeted this. I was excited to see them out there, even though I knew it was just shorts and helmets because it was actually something to talk about. It wasn't right. somebody, you know, Joe seven letters and eight numbers on Twitter heard something and <laughs> then, you know, somebody retweets it and suddenly we're talking about it for a week, even though it's not fucking true. So the vast regurgitation of non topic bullshit yep. is what you can call it. Um, you know, but no, I mean, and, and that is, that's, that's all fine and good. I mean, they're on the practice field. They did get a little bit of work in yeah. everybody, every day, everybody showed up to mandatory camp. Imagine that. You know, the big story was, is who wasn't going to show up? Right. Well, guess what? They all were. And even Odell Beckham showed up without a knee sleeve and was running around like a freaking madman. So, you know, Woo! and it's, wait a minute, it's, it's the middle of June. Right. <laughs> I know, dude. 
it's, you know, so it's, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. I get the excitement, you know, oh, but just, you know, temper, temper the reality too, is that, you know, if you're excited today, come June 26, man, you're going to be just like shit your pants. because right. it's, <laughs> I, it, it, it's, I mean, there was thousands of Browns fans tailgating at a softball game lane, <laughs> a softball now for a great cause, a great charity softball game. But the reaction to that, I think that just tells you where where the expectations and where the momentum and where the excitement truly is, right? And how freaking jacked this fan base is. This is this is something I haven't experienced as a Browns fan. And man, I don't know how this city survives if this team wins a Super Bowl. <laughs> oh my gosh! And I'm being and I'm being honest. I yeah. don't know how it survives because oh. you know you know people oh. got us. People go all stupid in 2016 when the Cavaliers won. That isn't going to hold a candle to the craziness that will go down here if this Browns, especially this Browns team, because there's there's just so many guys on this team that are very relatable to fans, you know. And you know, you got guys on this team that you know they want to be the guys that make this happen. Yeah, and and we're talking. You got you you got 20 games. That's what's going to take to walk away from this thing mm-hmm. and and that work has been started the week after the season ended in 2020 yeah baby these guys have done the work they continue to do the work and it's it's just going to be something to see and i just i hope fans really appreciate what this is because it's it's uncommon here in cleveland absolutely everything's memories at this point um, which uh, before we move on to this next segment we have, do you have any anything else on minicamp, Stephen or Lane, that uh, you'd like to add or ask? Or uh, Well, I wanted to ask Lane uh, specifically. Yeah. We all saw the quotes and you know things that circulated in the videos that Fred and some other people shot on their phones and everything. Uh, you know, the coaches, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and use the word raving about JOK and Newsom. Um, but did you hear anything – well, that you can release that didn't make it out. Like, what did you, what did you hear from the inside that stuff that jived with that, something that better than that, or some temper those expectations, something like that? Because from what we got out here, just, you know, watching the pressers and all that kind of stuff, basically they're both the second coming. So, well, you know, I can I, say that, you know, within those 72 hours after all the draft selections, you know, we discussed each one of them and, you know, what kind of role they would likely have. And it was a reason why those things were set. And it, it came to fruition when Andrew Barry spoke and Woods spoke, you know, when they talked about specific players, like, you know, you know, like having versatility at the cornerback position right. to fight sure. and play inside out slot, you know, you do all those kind of things. And, you know, he elaborated a little bit and we got into a little bit of a nuisance discussion and we found out, you know, inside out Troy Hill was playing the slot. Troy Hill was playing outside you know, there's a reason why we say these things, you know, JOK, JOK is just a, a unbelievable physical specimen that when the light switch fully comes on for him, mm-hmm. he is going to have such a role in this defense, <laughs> you know, because, you know, what the, you You're know, making what my the, penis move lane. You're making <laughs> move. And, and it's funny. Keep going. I'm, and I'm sitting here wearing a shirt that says Chub Hub. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, 
you know, it's, you know, it's what they did though, is they, they've gotten faster. They've gotten quicker, you know, they're a little bit later, but they're much more athletic. They're going to play faster. And, you know, these guys just fit right into that, you know, and the guy who could be ultimately the key component to this whole ball of wax in that defensive backfield is going to be John Johnson, the third, mm-hmm. because some people will say, yeah, he's you know, maybe the third best. Now I think this guy is, arguably the best safety at what he can do in his versatility in the national football league. And he was an absolute steal by Andrew Barry. Oh, and then yes. in tow, bring Troy Hill too. So you can say what you want. End of July, watch these guys do work because it's going to be something you have not seen the Cleveland Browns do. I'm so excited. Well, my pants are on fire. Yeah, absolutely. I need to change my pants. I need yeah. a nap. let's 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 segue into this uh steven you kind of gave me the idea for this and then i'm like oh gosh it's a pun i can name this segment a pun i'm gonna call this little brief segment uh uh, brown's memory lane pun intended mr lane atkins um i just kind of want you you are the fucking genius (laughs) (laughs) come on you've never heard that anything like that before have you we're we're originals There was a reason reason I woke out of my coma to do this. Absolutely. (laughs) So let's go down Brown's memory lane. with. Um, I guess one thing, you know, one one, one thing I always get asked, like, what was one memorable Brown's game that I saw in person, I guess, is kind of a cliche question. So I'm into cliche. So I'm going to ask you, what's the most memorable experience you had watching a Brown's game in person, Lane? The most memorable game, I would say, was Red Right 88. Oh, wow. Mm. It was cold. Just, be- just because it was the greatest freaking disappointment for a, a young kid yeah. to see that see that travesty happen. The yeah. craziest game I've ever been at, uh, freaking Bottlegate, man. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, w- I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was in the loge, and... Dude, it was just like missiles were flying over my head. And it just, it was just like the most amazing thing. You, you, you didn't know if it was raining or snowing bottles. <laughs> it, I just, I'd never seen anything like it. And then you just see, you see the, the referees, the officials, I mean, they're just hauling ass out of there, man. They couldn't wait to get off that field. <laughs> it's too and funny. I, <clears throat> dude, I've just never seen anything. Else. I mean, I've been down there when they're throwing batteries out of the dog pound and doing right. yeah. all that crazy shit. But man, I've never seen just like scud missiles flying out of the upper deck. Jeez. That was a wild day, man. That was a wild day. Uh, to add to your uh, Red Right 88 story, um, my dad's pretty sure of this. He's told me this before that I was actually conceived that weekend of Red Right 88. <laughs> Fun fact for the uh, kids at home your boy Andy Lytle was conceived on the weekend of Red. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's good. Um, I'm glad he didn't name you Mike Davis or something. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> no Monster. shit. Oh man, what's something? What's something for? Uh, you got something for Lane for uh, Brown's memory Lane, Stephen? Oh, I just I, I was just curious to some of the you know the, the games over the years as well. Yeah. As far as being in person for me, it would yeah. probably be um, the night uh, Metcalf returned two punts. Same That's for me. Probably the most exciting. And, you know, I could have said run, William, run, because that was pretty cool. But mm-hmm. um, 
that was probably the most fun. But as far as just memorable games, I mean, obviously we could all talk about the marathon by the lake and that 89 bills game and anything. Uh, I'm going to bring one up that doesn't get talked about a lot. And Lane, I know you remember this game uh, as well as I do the 94 game against Cowboys. Mm, Um, uh, Novacek at the, you know, foot line or whatever it was, because that was one at the beginning of the year. Even, even after they started going well, we were like, okay, mark that down as a loss, but if they can win (laughs) these other ones, you know, cause that was, you know, people younger don't remember. That was the height of the Cowboys superpowers in the Super Bowl teams. It was just, no way they were going to win that game. I remember screaming so loud. I frightened my girlfriend at the time uh, to the <laughs> point where I'm not, I'm not at all surprised. She broke up with me like a month later. I, I'm pretty sure that was, that was part of the cause. My, my, I'm probably with you on the Metcalf game for sure. You and I actually talked about this last week when we went on the garage beer pod. Uh, shout out those guys over there. They have an awesome podcast over there. Garage, garage beers podcast. Um, I said it then, and I'll say it again. When Metcalf returned that second punt, that is the loudest I've ever heard a sporting yeah. event that I was attended at. The, you, I thought the root, like I could feel the the, the the ground, the floor, the the concrete. I could feel it vibrating, like shaking. I thought there was oh. like an earthquake. No, it wasn't. It wasn't shaking. That shit was cracking. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. no shit, no shit, man. Yeah, that was uh, th- that that. That game, the Metcalf two punts returns against the Steelers, and obviously December 17th, 1995, the last game against Cincinnati mm-hmm. before they moved to Baltimore. Memorable for not the greatest reasons, but I've always said this about this game. Um, it is the most unique sporting event that I will probably ever attend in mm-hmm. my entire life. Probably, I would say. Yeah, probably so. I mean, another game that was really, really – I was really into it really perked me was uh, the Browns and Dolphins on a Monday night when Bernie broke his ankle and it was oh, just, a, that one. just a freaking shootout, man. Yeah. Didn't and, he play? He played the entire second half with a broken ankle, yeah, right? Yep. Yeah. He, and he's just, he's limping around out there and just, you know, just doing his thing. And I, I mean, that was a hell of a game until of course they lose. Yeah. Right? But uh, you know, they happen to lose those type of games, but you know, that was just a crazy game. We're just, same thing as when they beat San Francisco's ass down there at the stadium. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, on a Monday on a Monday night. I want to say uh, one wasn't one of the first touchdown passes to Michael Jackson. Am I remembering yeah. correctly? Yeah, because that was Steve Young's Niners, right? If I remember. Yep. 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 Man, I, that Dolphins game. Yeah, I talk about that Monday Nighter a lot because they, they were. Da- I can't remember what they were down at half, but they were down a couple scores. They were down twenty to three. There you go. Out. Yes, so three scores, and yeah, and Kozar literally limping, like obvious, terrible limp he had that entire. He was like when he yeah. would, because as we all know, Bernie wasn't the most mobile as it was, but right. when, when he would, when he would take a snap he was literally like dragging his foot like on its mm-hmm. side to like just shot he was almost shuffling it around yeah that was a wild wild game good call on that one Lane. i remember yeah. uh, i remember being there for that one and then i, I was going back to the metcalf game the second punt because we sat our seats well they still are six uh, rows behind big dog in that lower right section of the uh, uh of the old dog pound and if you remember, Lane, I know you remember this because those were just bleachers back then. There was no separating. So anytime somebody scored in that end zone, there was this mad crushing rush. Everybody ran down, you know, to, to that chain link fence. And that moment when everybody did that, that was the 
that was the time, the only time in the old dog pound that I was actually frightened. <laughs> like it was <laughs> like it was, I've told people that night was like being in a prison riot. And that moment was when the guards just gave up because like, I mean, people weren't just coming down from eight, 10 rows. They were coming from the upper section of the dog pound. And I, I remember turning around and watching this sea of humanity coming at me and going, okay, there's no place for us to go guys. You, you have to fucking stop. Somebody's going to get hurt. You know, I, I can just remember back and just, just watching it. And it, it was like, it was like the most freaking insane body of people that you can imagine. And everybody's just going to one spot. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't give a shit, man. <laughs> it was scary. And, and imagine this. There's all that coming at you and big dogs in front of everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I, I, I know John. Yeah, John. I, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but that dude was crazy. And if you thought he was crazy, those freaking psychos behind him were crazy. Oh, crazier, God. yeah. Oh, yeah, man. that whole section was insane. But and you know, some people may not know this, but the last few seasons, by the time I got there in '91, uh, and I don't know how much before me it started. My season tickets started in '91. The dog pound had two interesting features that I don't think I've ever heard anyplace else. Uh, one, the beer vendors were not allowed to come up into the stands <laughs> for their own safety. I am not making that up. And the second thing was we were sequestered from the rest of the stadium by CPD and those horse like mm -hmm. barricade yeah. things. Like you, right. if, if you wanted to come into the dog pound, you had to show your ticket. And I'm not talking the seats. I'm talking underneath the stadium. Like you couldn't even walk out into that. They, <laughs> we were like our own <laughs> cell block. We were like, they, we were yeah. like, they, no, we weren't allowed to, to associate with gen pop and the rest of the stadium. <laughs> It was that bad. And so you imagine that and then throw in, you know, them finally winning again and it being against the Steelers, which was always charged and even worse and everything else. It was just it was an unbelievable night. It was it was frankly exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> Brown's memory lane, boys. <laughs> I tell you, I could sit here and talk about Brown's memories for hours. I really could. I really, really could. Well, oh, there's so many of them. I mean, there's oh. just, you know, things that, you know, mean something to you personally. I mean, it, yeah. there's thing, things that just, it's the Browns and it happened and you're a fan and you get excited. Yes. It's, it's just, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, look, it's going to be 75 years. Yeah. You know, so, you know, know. there's, a, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of history there. I mean, lots. And in the bad thing is, is that there's so much of it that's not talked about and recognized that, you know, made the Cleveland Browns arguably one of the greatest franchises in football history. Let's not say NFL yeah. or Super Bowl or any of that kind of bullshit because, yeah. you know, football was played before that and the Super Bowl had a different name, you know, so let's yeah. not get into all that BS. Yeah. But, you know, it's here you are, man. It's 2021 and yeah, here we go again. Yeah, it, it's unique. I think, and this is not to say anything against other fan bases because yeah. there are other fan bases that are just maniacal as well. But I think the city of Cleveland and the populace of Cleveland has a relationship with this franchise that is unique yeah. in sports. There is well so much emotion and identity and yep. familial feel that it's just different than yeah. any place else. Uh, it means so much to this community. Generations of families. Absolutely. Yep. 
I mean, yep. it's you. It's, it's your father. It's your grandfather. Absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, this goes on forever. They were they were there. They they lived the heyday of the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody can say that. I mean, we're sitting here today, and you know, probably seventy five percent of the Browns fan base hasn't experienced true winning. Right. Right. So it's an it's an exciting time that it's just hard to grasp because you know shit. Every, they, people experience the basketball team winning a championship. What happens when the Cleveland Browns win a championship, <laughs> man? It's like it's like the Cleveland yeah. Indians. Even at the even though the Indians ownership is just tanked up baseball, you know, if the Cleveland there's generations of fandom there too. Absolutely. Yep. You know, getting getting the one out away from winning a World Series or you yep. know stuff like that. You know, it, it's it's a Cleveland thing. Cleveland yep. rallies together because Cleveland Cleveland just is the underdog so often. There's a story that nobody wants to tell or nobody wants to see happen except Clevelanders. Yeah, absolutely. And in, until you just, you know, burn a hole in that map and just say, "Here I am, fuckers, let's go." <laughs> you know, this is what it's going. This is what it's going to be. And you know, it's, let's hope 2021's that so we can put this baby to bed. Absolutely, man. Amen to that. Yeah, and I've said this for a long time, um, and I wasn't alive for a championship. My best memories are the Bernie years, which, as sure. you know, has famously, everybody knows, ended in heartbreak. But I at least remember contend. I remember all that. I have those yeah. memories. I anybody under you know thirty, maybe even thirty five, really until the last couple of years, they know nothing but a clown show. You know yeah. that's, and so I'm so thrilled that they have turned it around because these younger fans deserve those kind of memories you know yeah. having somebody being excited all week you know they about even, sunday they don't even know what it's like what the brown stadium is like for a home playoff game they don't right. even know how loud that place is or right. with, even fuck a playoff game when they're good how loud that stadium is yeah i man this season can't get here enough and we're in the NFL dead zone and we all we've talked about that a little bit today. And that's why uh, we have this on this next segment. Uh, this is not the same old Browns podcast. This is different. And we're in the NFL dead zone. So I wanted to have some fun. Uh, as most of you listeners know, I'm a huge movie and film buff. I, I just freaking love movies. Since I was a kid, there's been two constants. Cleveland sports and movies have been my thing with maybe video games being third. Um, so we're, I got together with these guys. We're going to, we're going to give, we're going to list our top five favorite sports movies here, uh, in this next segment. Um, I kind of cheated with my number five cause I have two movies and I couldn't decide, <laughs> but it's our show. We can do whatever the hell we want. Right, Steven? Sure. He, why not? He, he cheated with two movies at number five. Yeah, wait till I start talking. It just... Oh, oh, dude, dude, I, I had, dude, I didn't write down any honorable mentions, but I'd have like twenty. <laughs> yeah. I'd have like fucking twenty. And what one theme you're gonna you're gonna see from my list? I am a sucker for the underdog story. Okay, I'm just just throwing that out there. I am a sucker for it. It sucks me in all the time. Um, I'm captivated by that. I've always admired the underdog story. So my list you is bro- you a bronze fan. Absolutely. There you go. That segue from <laughs> that to this. Cleveland, baby. Perfect. This is a perfect segue. 
I'll start off at number five. I have a tie because I couldn't decide between both of these movies. They're both football movies, um, but I enjoy them both very much for different reasons. I have at number five, Remember the Titans from 2000 and Rudy from 1993. Um, yeah, very excellent films. Um, uh, Remember the Titans. I like that movie. One, it's just I like the football action in it. I think that movie looks beautiful. But I love the social message that movie has, too, about racism and stuff like that. I think it's a very important, important film uh, for the, for those reasons. And Rudy, again, I'm just I know that they exaggerated the story of him uh, because it's a movie a little bit. You know, I, some of it was what's in the movie happened. Some didn't. I don't care what happened. In the movie is fine and it's entertaining. And I really pull for that kid. And it's, and it's Sean Astin. When he was a little kid, he was in Goonies. And now I remember the first time I saw him, I go, oh, my gosh, that's a dude from Goonies. Cool. Then he would go on to do this trilogy called Lord of the Rings. So, yeah, he's doing OK. Um, <laughs> Steven, who, who do you Freaking got? In the... Amazing. I know. Dude, it's great. Steven, who you got? Number five. Then we'll move on to you, Lane. Well, I wanted to ask yes. a question here for two things yes. first, actually. One, can yes. we just sort of the three of us agree that Major League isn't in this discussion, but it's in our all top personal top five just because of Cleveland. Because as much as we all love it, and this is going to sound like I'm probably going to get hate tweets for this, if you step back and take the Cleveland part out of it, it's really not that great of a movie. <laughs> I, I <laughs> the actually, movie itself isn't. All, I mean, it's okay. It's not bad or anything. I but actually it's completely formulaic. Dis- I actually completely disagree. I, I now that movie is on my list. I'll say that right now. Okay, um, I mean, I get it. I'm just saying, you know, can we sort of put that to the side and say, okay, we are, we're all going to say Major League, so yeah, let's not use but, that. Let's do something else. See, so. here's my thing. I've always, obviously, I've always been a huge fan of it, but I've always said this, and I've actually said the opposite of what you just said. I said, I've always told people, it's one of my favorite baseball movies, and yes, being about the Indians definitely pushes it to another level for me, but even if it wasn't, a lot of the humor in that I find very funny. There's a lot of good lines like, who are these fucking guys? And oh, that, sure. You, you know, just the, the movie's edited well. And David S. Ward wrote that. Um, I mean, he's the guy who wrote The Sting. Uh, talented writer, really good screenwriter. And this was actually his directorial debut, I believe. Um, so I, I actually disagree with you. I actually think Major League is a good movie, a very, very, very good baseball comedy with or without the Cleveland Indians being involved. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just uh, sort of had a, because I was a freshman at the university of Dayton when it came out and there was two guys on my floor who were from Cleveland. Sure. uh, And we went and saw the movie together. And so I had to sit there. It just ruined it for me. The entire two hours, these guys, every time they would show a shot of the stadium, the guy right next to me would smack me in the arm and go, that's not Cleveland. I'd be like, yeah, I fucking know that. Will you stop saying that to me? They filmed it in Milwaukee. Who cares? Why does that bother someone? I get it. Okay. I got it the first 70 times you hit me. You're ruining so, the movie. So you're telling me your college buddies ruined Major League for you. Is that what they you're ruined that experience? The initial experience. Yes. So, but the other question, the more important question is what where's the cutoff? But we talked about this a little before we came on the air. What is it? What is a sports movie and what is not? Does it just have to do with sports? Sure. Or can it, yes. Like because yes. You know, like, uh, you know, um, Bad News Bears, for example, one of my all time favorites comedy. But I've seen people say it's a coming of age movie that's set with a backdrop of sports, not a sports movie. And the the comparison would be, 
you know, I, uh, maybe Moneyball or, uh, you know, Miracle, which is on my list. That's yeah, definitely that's, a sports that's on movie. my list. Yes. It's a sports movie because the sports is the main component. But sure. where is that line where sports is where it's just, you know, it, like Field of Dreams? Is that really a baseball movie or is that movie yes. about a guy dealing with his his father and all those kind of issues? and stuff? And I'm not advocating either way. I'm just saying the answer to that question could include or exclude certain films. I mean, where's the line? Does, well, does I have- like like feel the dreams. I mean, it's the historical value of baseball and what it meant, you know, in a different time. So, you know, that, that itself makes it a sports movie. Okay. I agree. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I just thought it's something because where do you draw this Caddyshack? Talladega Knights, dodgeball. Absolutely. Those are all, I mean, while they're all comedies, they're also sports. Shake and break. Yeah. (laughs) Shake and bake. Happy Gilmore. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things on there that, you know, uh, and then the other side of that, you know, if you say no, you know, and we're saying yes, I think. But if you say no, it has to be, you know, about sports or does that exclude, uh, you know, Brian's song or Pride of the Yankees or the no. or slap shot or the longest yard. So I just wanted to, to, to pose that question to our listeners I, as you know, I, something to think about. I think any movie that contains sports where sports are a meat and potato part of the plot. I think that's a sports film. I mean, a for, a film can be several different genres. Like, right, I, right, right, sure. Like, you like uh, on my horror movie podcast. I, on uh, when I go over to the Twitter for it for the Dead in Santa Clara Twitter, I've always seen people argue about whether Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie or not. I mean, it's about a fucking serial killer who eats people. It sounds pretty horrific to me. Yes, <laughs> yes. Is, is it a is it a crime thriller? Yes, but is it also a horror film? Definitely. So I think that it's reminded me of like that. I think a movie can be anything that the viewer connects it and wants it to be whatever you connect with that movie. And a movie can be several different genres. I mean, like, you know, a movie can be a horror and a comedy. I mean, like uh, Zombieland, which sure. I know you're a big Bill Murray fan. He has one of the best cameos <laughs> in the history of film in that movie. Right. Um, that movie is hilarious, but it also has awesome zombie gore and has some awesome zombie scares yep. so it's both it's a horror comedy i think movies can be more than one genre for sure absolutely yeah, yeah. and again i wasn't advocating one way or the other for sure any of no I, just I a question to it's just a question to, to because you know it does affect what you include and what you don't absolutely include, well i you know? i think any movie that, that you guys deem a sports movie is okay with me that's how i am all right. Well, I made a, actually, uh, I took sort of a different tack here. I made a list of like a dozen and yeah. then whatever you guys don't say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick up the extras, you know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I guess from this group, if I'm going to try to put it in five, um, I'm gonna go a little bit outside the box here. I'm going to say Seabiscuit. Well, I thought film. that was an excellent, excellent movie. movie, excellent Ab- movie. It and is. I, yeah. uh, I really, en- I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, in no small part to Bill Macy, because I, I like virtually anything that he's in. But I also thought, like anything, the key to any any movie is story. It's got whether yeah. it's a, you know, a shoot em up, blow em up Schwarzenegger type, even the best. The difference between the great Schwarzeneggers and the average Schwarzeneggers is the great ones have a friggin' story to go with all the macho bullshit. Sure. And so I thought Seabiscuit was an excellent, excellent story. And the fact that, you know, uh, Bill was in it just made it uh, take on another uh, another level for me. 
yeah it's uh it was nominated for seven oscars by the way so you yeah. It. yeah it, it is a uh that's one i need to actually i'm due for a rewatch of that it's been a hot minute i'm glad you had that on your list that's a good film man it's a really good film you know it's really interesting that you said seabiscuit because i have two movies that involve horse racing at in my fifth area which is seabiscuit and secretary oh, even, yeah. though I even though i didn't you know really care for the the movie part of it it's more the story and sure. you know what was accomplished so you know that's that's where i'm at sitting right in that fifth area so that's two of my you know 50 movies that i got going on here <laughs> so wait what so, was what was so me and lane kind of cheated on this one we cheated what was together. your official number five what was, <laughs> or one one of a couple you, i had two i had a two place tie so we can do whatever the hell we want well here well since steven went with sea biscuit I'll, I'll throw another one at you Sure. Murder, murder ball. Okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> Holy shit! It's been a it's been a minute since. Oh my goodness, that's a good one, dude. That's one I did not expect anyone to say, and I'm glad it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, 2005, right? Five. Yeah. Yep. 2005. Yep. That is an underrated flick. Seven point seven. It is. Seven out of ten rating on IMDb. And, and the and the story behind it is just it's yep. it's unbelievable. It was uh let's see it was nominated for uh yeah because it was uh, nominated for best documentary at the Oscars. It was right. Yep, Oscar nominated as well. Good choice, man. Um, my number. Let's move on to my number four. Um, I lost it here. I have it right here. Uh, my number four. Uh, uh yeah, surprise. It's a uh, it's a uh, underdog story because I. <laughs> Every, I'm a sucker for underdog stories, all right? And ironically, this film was directed by David Anspa, who also directed Rudy. Don't know. It's, I, I guess, I like his films, apparently. Uh, number four, I have Hoosiers from 1986. Mm, yep. um, definitely my favorite basketball movie of all time. I actually just watched this the other night to refresh myself. Um, Fantastic film. Oh, gosh. Uh, Gene Hackman is great. Um, yep. Dennis Hopper who was nominated for an Oscar for, for Best Supporting Actor for this was great. And what a year in 1986 was for Dennis Hopper. He got nom uh, Oscar nomination for, uh, for Hoosiers. He did uh, uh, Blue Velvet, which was an awesome mm, Lynch classic. film. Awesome yep. Lynch film. And then he starred in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. He yes. did all three of those films in 1986. He was a busy, busy man. One of my favorite horror sequels, actually. And you can bet your ass he was... <laughs> he doesn't remember it yeah look <laughs> look i was I, in that cool the texas chainsaw massacre films they're not for everyone <laughs> and, they, and i know that but i will say this if you ever get a chance to watch the sequel or if you've watched the original you've never seen the part two from 1986 it's actually a dark it's more of a dark dark comedy than anything but yes. that's what the first one was supposed to be it just didn't play out that way yeah it didn't work <laughs> no um but hopper is batshit nuts in that movie and yep. he's fucking so much fun but uh yeah number four ever hoosiers directed by david anspa who also wrote or directed rudy so coincidentally that's my number four steven uh well you brought up rudy and i wanted to mention this before as a notre yep. dame guy i excluded that from my list just because i didn't want to come off as a homer sure don't for the same you. reason i excluded major league from my list it's just you know, because I knew as a, as in Domer, I knew the story of of Rudiger before the movie. So sure. you know, I that's fair. I, of course, I do. I I get a little extra fired up 
just because it's, you know, because I'm a Notre Dame guy. Uh, so for my four, I guess, from this remaining list that I have, I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go with a boxing movie, but not the one you probably think of. I'm going to go with one that does not get talked about enough. Uh, and it's an unbelievable movie in Cinderella, man. Oh, God. It, probably. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's Ron Howard. Uh, how, how do you go wrong? It's. Yeah. What a story. I mean, just. And I, I noticed, too, and Great I didn't film. notice this when I was making the list, but now that I sit here and look at it and we're talking about it, most of my top five uh, are based on true stories. Uh, there must be something about that. There you go. That appeals to me because uh, what a, I mean, j- impossible, just an impossible story to, yep. to have hap- had yep. happened. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously beautifully directed, beautifully acted, beautifully written, yep. beautifully shot, all that kind of stuff. Oh gosh. That movie, like a boxing so well. movie from a, from the depression era. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, I throw Giamatti in it and it, <laughs> he was, is there anything yeah, yeah. Giamatti doesn't make better no. by simply by being on the screen? I mean, he's, he's so fucking good. At, you got an Oscar like, nom for this. You got an Oscar nom. Best but that's, that's actor. my four. Yeah. Um, because I think it's just a tremendous, tremendous boxing film. It is. Well, you started you started scaring the shit out of me when you started talking boxing. Uh, <laughs> when we were kings, mm, mm, that's a, yeah, uh, Ali. Yep, Ali Ali Foreman, Zaire Africa. You know, oh, such the historical good. historical value, and you know, you know, in the area and what it meant at that time, and you know what sure. it leads to today, right? As well as the compelling story of you know Muhammad Ali, the unbelievable underdog you know taking down the giant yep i mean it was just a very good movie and it won uh, the oscar for best documentary in 1997 uh it was one of the 97 oscars um, yep. yeah it's that era of boxing in the 70s man there was really um nothing like him i hear stories from my dad all the time because I, I was born in 81 but uh yeah, yeah Lane, you remember like I do. I grew up with the end of the Ali era and with all of the contenders from then, and oh, then the yeah. entirety of the Tyson era. Yeah. And today they're watching YouTube guys get beat up by retired boxers. So <laughs> well, I, I think absolute I think, joke, man. I think comparing eras, I hate when you know generation versus this. It's so stupid. But in this yeah. one, I'm sorry, we win. I'm oh, sorry, God. we win. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, just in the '70s alone, you had Ali, Frazier, Foreman, and uh, Kenny Norton. Kenny oh, Norton yeah. Senior. I mean, he broke Ernie Ali's Shavers. jaw. He beat er- Ali once. Ernie he? Shavers, yeah, Ernie being the hardest punching heavyweight. Yeah. You know, he he knocked the living shit out of both Larry Holmes and Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I've got a. I met him in Vegas a few years ago. I've got. I have a uh, an autographed picture of Ernie Shavers, and the the inscription is. And apparently, Ali said this after the fight. He said he hit me so hard, my kinfolk in Africa felt it. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how he signs all of his autographs. It's upstairs in my sports room right now. But I knew, I knew, like this. We're we're ranking our top favorite, but really, I just wanted this to be a discussion about sports movies, and that's what this is turning into. And I love it. And this is fun, guys. Um, My number three is a my only comedy on my list. Um, One thing that I my my sports comedy's got to have. You, it's to me, it's one of the biggest keys to a successful sports comedy. You have to have a lot of good characters. You've right. got to have funny characters, characters you can relate to, characters you can root for. At number three, I have Major League from 1989. Uh, easy choice for me. It's my personal favorite baseball movie, and I love a lot of baseball movies. Like another 
honorable mention that would probably be sixth or seventh on my list would probably be the natural love that film mm -hmm. um a lot of base field of dreams is another one i enjoy 10 cups of sports movie i enjoy a lot actually mm -hmm. too um but yeah major league at number three i mean lots of nostalgia there obviously because it's the indians but as we were talking i actually at the end of the day think it's a really 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 good sports comedy and it's written by a uh by david s ward this, i believe this was his directorial debut uh before this he had wrote the sting um he would go on yeah. to write other things uh, uh from northeast ohio i believe he's a cleveland native yes um, so yeah major league uh, easy number three for me Steven. i just I, I think i should clarify it's not that i thought it was a bad film i sure. just thought it was predictable there was nothing yeah a little bit you, i think you know, a lot there... of sports films are though you know a little oh, bit sure absolutely you know? it was it was just pretty formulaic now that's not to say that you know to this day uh, you know the quotes don't oh come out lines, man and if i go anywhere that has a dress code anywhere anywhere any restaurant the first thing i say is i look like a banker in this and Dude, nobody <laughs> fucking gets it anymore but no. I, you know, I amuse myself so when someone's a, complaining to me about someone else i'll say you want me to drag him out of here kick the shit, kick out, the of shit out of him yes <laughs> i love that one <laughs> i mean th there really are so many good lines in major league that's mm -hmm. one thing i've always appreciated and like i said man the characters you got oh, wild God, yeah. wild thing ricky vaughn you got uh willie mays hayes you got pedro serrano i mean you've got really really good care jake taylor even yep. uh, lou brown the manager oh, great character fucking great um yeah big fan of that movie obviously. Now, i will say this my big gripe because i grew up playing baseball my only gripe is the the closing scene you ask your aging catcher with bad knees to, and it's not like if there was one out and you were doing a double squeeze from second yes. base. I get that. We used to run that play in high school ball. I've seen that play. Yes. But there was two outs. He had to beat it out. So yes. you're asking your guy that you called up from the Mexican League with bad <laughs> knees to beat out a bunt single in that switch. Are you? Okay. All right. No, you're not wrong. And <laughs> you just made me think of another line and I use all the time is how's your wife and my kids? Oh, God. Yep. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, Rexy, don't think this one's got the distance. Yeah, <laughs> and, and what's not? We didn't even mention Bob Euchre. Holy oh, shit! He, geez, he, yeah. he, he, to me, he's the icing and the cherry on top of this. Mm -hmm. he, he completes this film. It's not the same film without him in it. Definitely. He's a convicted felon, isn't he? he doesn't say here. <laughs> well, he ought to be. <laughs> no, he should be. Oh my goodness! All right, what's your number three there, Mister Thomas? Well, you know what? Uh, I think I will go with a baseball movie myself uh if we're gonna go baseball here uh i'll take uh, a league of their own oh great film absolute would, classic i mean would be one of my honorable mentions if if for nothing else there's no crying in baseball scene <sighs> is i've seen it seven thousand times and i laugh the yeah. look on tom hanks is he's just so fucking mad and <laughs> he's trying not to <laughs> to yell he's just like you're, you're there's no there's like he just can't, he cannot even grasp the concept. Are you crying? Yes. Like it's, 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 it's an unbelievably classic scene uh, from, you know, one of our greatest actors. So well, I, I'll go there with my number three. One of my favorite things about that film, and it's a character that's in it for like 10 minutes, but he is so freaking hilarious. And that's John Lovitz. Oh God. Yeah. John Lovitz is so good. And one thing that's always stuck out to me of this film, if you really look back on this film, 
look at that freaking cast. In this oh, movie. God. I mean, it's, first of all, it's, it's directed by Penny Marshall, uh, mm-hmm. le- legend in the business, obviously. And I mean, you've got Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Lori Petty, Madonna, Rosie, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell before she was even really old. She was Rosie. great in it. Oh, she's... See, people can say whatever they want about Rosie O'Donnell. Fine, whatever. You know, it's whatever. People kind of take shots of her. Sometimes she takes shots. It's whatever. But it's undeniable. She almost nearly steers, steals the show in this movie. She, her, she is so good as the Doris kid. I mean, yep. it's it, it, uh, great well, cast, you, great and writing. And like you said, you got to have characters you root for, but you also have to have heart. And uh, yes. the backdrop of World War II the reason that league came about and all that kind of stuff that I, I got to tell you, as much as I love the, uh, there's no crying in baseball scene and you're still missing the cutoff man is another one of my favorite moments in that. Yeah. The scene where the guy comes to deliver the death notice and he has to walk through the locker room and those two women waiting to, which one of us is it? Sure. It's, it's crushing. Like it it, it's soul crushing to watch that, to know that, millions of women went through that moment yeah. uh, you know uh, it's what what a film what a great yeah, film it, it it has a nice balance of giving me the comedy that i need in a movie like this but it also does a good job of hitting you in the feels with the drama right. it's really executed quite well you a big fan of that movie lane yeah it was a very good movie it is man it's very uh, good movie. it's one of my it would probably make my it would easily make my top five baseball movies for sure Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. What, what's give me a give me a number three, Lane? Well, since you guys <laughs> stole a little bit of my thunder, I'm gonna move down the chain a little bit. And let's go with Invictus. Ooh, okay. That dude, that's a good film. Good. That's one. a very good film. <laughs> that is uh, Morgan Freeman, Matt Damon. Uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, if I'm not mistaken. Don't ask me now how I know this stuff. We weren't gonna. <laughs> Because I am a fucking nerd. That's <laughs> yeah, that's a good film. I want to say I've seen that once. It came out in two thousand nine, and I was right. It was directed by uh, it was directed by Eastwood. Um, came out in two thousand nine. Seven point three out of ten on IMDb. Uh, nominated for two Oscars. Uh, let's see. It was nominated. Uh, Morgan Freeman got Best Actor nomination, and Matt Damon Best Supporting Actor. That is the thing I do remember most about enjoying that movie was those performances from. Morgan Freeman and Matt Damon. They're yeah. both excellent in it. Um, is, is that one you watch uh, pretty frequently, Lane? No, not very often. You know, just, you know, one of those things here and there. You know, yeah. I usually get it. I usually usually turn on some horror shit. And... See, this is why I love doing it. Yeah, yeah, me too, bud. I, 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 get, I get distracted by all the horror shit. But it's funny because every time I have these kind of conversations, whether it's on this show or the other podcast I do, the horror movie podcast, it makes me want to think to watch something because I, I can't ever remember. Like, it's like like Invictus is one. I definitely I watched that when it came out and I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't think I've watched it since. So thank you for naming that one. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's interesting because you just there's just so many movies and so many are very good and some, so many suck. And you just, you know, you just forget about flicks. Right. So, you know, that's that's one of those types of movies that it just doesn't stick in your mind, but then you just come across and you see, oh, shit. It's yeah, let me watch that again. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to give right. that a go here soon. All right, my number two. Um, this might fall into your category, Stephen. What's a sports movie? What's not? I consider this a sports movie. It's also a drama, and it's also another underdog story. Um, at number two, I have 1984's The Karate Kid. Mm. Um, 
one nice. of my, yeah one of my favorite movies of all time and this cobra kai series that they've dropped three seasons now it's freaking incredible it's one of the best continuations of any like a sequel continuation of an old story like karate kid it's one of the best continuations i've ever seen um but as far as karate kid goes it has one of my favorite characters in the history of cinema and it's not even daniel larusso that would be mr miyagi Mm-hmm. played incredibly by the late great pat Morita, who also yep. was nominated for an oscar for this role in this film um this was also directed by john g abelson who uh he was an oscar nominated director and actually hit my next choice was also a movie he directed actually but we'll get to that when it's my turn but yeah i have karate kid at number two i uh i was 14 years old and uh went on one of my early dates obviously it was you know the parents drove us and all that kind of stuff with the, uh, I saw it with, uh, with a girl named Karen Driscoll. And uh, we sat in the back row, if that tells so you how much of the movie I saw. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, how can you not like the karate kid? I, I, it's, you know, it's a classic, whether you can, again, like you said, whether you consider it a sports movie or not is kind of it's irrelevant. It's still a great movie. Yeah. It's a classic. You know? It is. It really has morphed into a classic and it's again, an underdog story. And I'm a sucker for those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess uh yeah, go um, ahead, Steven. You guys have been sort of and it I it looks like one of the greatest sports movies of all time is not going to make any of our lists, but I'm not going to say that yet. I'll see what happens. Um but uh speaking of underdog stories, I've been trying to decide which of these was two and which of these is one and I decided uh I just decided. My number 2 is uh Miracle. Um right. you want to talk about underdog? Yeah. I it, it was what they did could not be done. It was impossible. Yeah. The, that team could not beat the Russian team. There is no universe in which that game actually happens, but it did. And I'm, old, I'm just old enough to remember watching it with my grandfather, but back at that time, I was 10, I, I didn't grasp, you know, the geopolitical implications. And, you know, I, I didn't have any idea of all that stuff. I was a little kid. I just knew that it was, you know the Russians were our enemies and it was a big freaking deal. Right. And it was a giant upset and it was exciting, you know, it, it, all that kind of stuff. And the movie itself, I think not only gave a great background story of all of that stuff and the formulation of the team and everything that went on behind the scenes, but I thought it did an amazing job of showing the speed of a hockey game. Yes. Because it's, if you're not a big hockey fan and I didn't grow up one, it's kind of a tough sport to watch on television. If you sure. go live, it's a whole different experience. I don't know anybody who's seen hockey live that isn't yeah. down with it after, after seeing it live. Right. But I thought Miracle came about as close as you could get to, to showing what it was really like, the pressure. That last that scene where they're counting down the last 10 minutes after the Eruzioni goal. Yep. I, I mean, I know what's going to happen, and I'm still sitting there just going, come on, come on, every every time. <laughs> so just good. listening, listening now, Michael's just belted out. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm glad you said that, Lane, because I was going to say that, too. I, I feel like having actual Al Michaels, who called yes. the original game, be such a big part of this movie uh, in those certain scenes and during the big matchups in the game, I thought that completed this film is just kind of like the way bob euchre did the major league some kind of uh, thing and not to mention this movie has one of my favorite actors of all time and honestly one of the most underrated uh, is kurt russell mm-hmm. yep well i'll just make it simple here that's that's my number one so we don't have to get to me for number one <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect perfect what do you got number two Lade? 
if you build it, they will come. Oh, Field of Dreams, baby. Just yeah. great film. Yeah. Yep. Talk, talk about a really good story. Mm. Like, like, because Field of Dreams, talk, and we were just talking about this, like movies that can be more in one subgenre. Uh, Field of Dreams is a drama. It's a fantasy film. Uh, mm-hmm. It's under the fantasy genre. It's mm-hmm. under the sports genre. It's under all those. Yeah, I like the fantasy elements in Field of Dreams. And to me, that's what makes it very original. Is that is that something that you watch? I, that is one I watch regularly. Like, is that one that you watch pretty so often? Yeah, I, I watch that, you know, so often. You know, Love of the Game, another Costner baseball flick. You know? oh, yeah, um, yeah, that is. You know, so I get into those. I like the Costner movies like that when we're talking about baseball. You know, that's his love. Actually, a passion of his. So, yep. He, he does a good job with the baseball flicks. You know, and there's always some drama and everything else included in it. But, yeah, I just a, just a fan of those type of movies. Yeah, and he's done a lot of sports fix, not only just baseball, but sports in general. I mean, he's done – you got Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, uh, right. for, for Love of the Game, Tin Cup, Draft Day. Draft Day, baby! He has done a <laughs> shit ton of sports movies. And he, he must be a, just a massive sports fan because I don't oh. think you do that many unless you really enjoy the materials when I get that. There's yeah, that. And, and I also think that he is – you know, he played ball. Uh, yeah, he's, so he's a huge he, baseball fan. The fact that he actually looks like an athlete yes. on film. Sure. There's so many actors that are tremendous actors, but then you ask him to throw a ball and you're like, oh, good God. How come Tom Berenger? Tom Berenger? <laughs> there's just no way. You don't look like you are the guy that the athletes beat up in high school. You got locked yes. in your locker by the athletes, you know, and he's not like that. So he lends a, a credibility to it in that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. Any of his sports movies, you know, and then of course, you know, Lane, we got to say if we're talking Costner, you got to throw, you know, Waterworld and the Postman in there. It's just, you know, all time. Dancing well, with Wolves. Oh, there's oh. a classic. Yeah. No, that is a classic. <laughs> I was kidding, by the way, but not with Dancing with the, Wolves, the but with those two other ones. Yeah. Oh, God, I love Untouchables. Oh, great film. I love Untouchables. Sean Connery. Yeah. Oh, great film. One of my favorite moments in that when he throws uh, Neary off the roof. Yep. Did, did he sound anything like that? <laughs> Such a great line. I love it. Um, all right. My number one is not only my favorite sports movie, it's actually my favorite film of all time. And uh, as most of you know, I love movies and I've watched just about everything you can think of. So this movie is actually my favorite film of all time. It's directed by John G. John G. Avildsen, who also directed The Karate Kid. Uh, let's see. Eight years after this movie came out. Uh, number one, I have Rocky, the original Rocky yeah. from 1976. Um, love the stories behind this. That Stallone, when he was, when Stallone had written this script, he had holding it on for holding on to it for a couple years because uh, a lot of studios wanted to buy it, but they didn't want him to star in it. They wanted right. like James Caan, uh, Ryan O'Neill, uh, Robert Redford, people like that. He held out. He was so poor. He had to sell his dog Butkus to help pay the freaking rent. And then he ends up getting the deal for Rocky and gets Buckus back and Buckus is in the movie. And um, yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's 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 not one of my it is my favorite film of all time. 8.1 out of 10 on IMDB. Uh won three Oscars, and I believe it was nominated for like seven or eight, I believe. Yeah, what my favorite film of all time. I, I watched this movie. I'm not gonna bullshit you guys. 
Steven, you were telling me how you watch Cheers every night before you go to bed. I watch a Rocky fight from one of the movies every night before I go to bed. <laughs> I need that motivation for when I wake up in the morning. But uh, yeah, the original Rocky, that's what I have at number one. Well, that was the one that I was mentioning a bit ago that I was worried wasn't going to make any of our lists. So we're saved from that. So, yeah. and this is the problem because, you know, you talk about top five, six through 15 are still all-time classics so yeah. something great is getting squeezed out anytime you do lists like this and it's, it's hard for people now to imagine but back then it was it was a new concept this underdog this yeah. this kind of story million in one the, shot yeah. in the theater people yelling and screaming and and cheering like, like it was a real fight like you know like yeah. it, it's something that couldn't happen now because people have seen a hundred movies that have tried to be Rocky since then. Sure. Uh, so the formula has become kind of, you know, old hat, but at the time it was, it's, it was, it's kind of like, you know, seeing star Wars in the movie for the first time back then, you know, sure. in the theater, it was, you know, people make fun of it now and it's become this whole industry that has sort of eaten itself. But at the time, no one had ever seen anything like that. That that's why it was so huge and why it became what it was. I'm, I'm glad you did that. Yeah, one 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 best picture in 1976. Uh, it's been my favorite f movie since I was probably three years old. Um, it's one. Bond I think we can throw all of them except Rocky Five were great. I think. We yeah, absolutely. Them. Everyone yeah. but Rocky Five is is really 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 good in this franchise. I love that them really, all. That really was a bad movie. Oh, yeah, <laughs> just, just a bad story. So you know, right. it, it all started with the story with that one. That's really why that one's so bad. But yeah, that was easy for me. That that's my number one. I just, I literally I watch a Rocky fight every every night before I go to bed. I yeah, I mean, I went through you know all the Rocky movies and. Rocky Balboa and Creed One, Creed Two. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm with you there. I mean, it was a, a hard choice not to put it on there, but right. I already went with a boxing movie, so I didn't want to throw another one in at the top. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Right. And I'm just noticing four of my movies that I've selected were directed by two people because David Anspa directed Rudy and Hoosiers and John G. Avildsen directed Karate Kid and Rocky. So I've got a little pattern. Other pattern I have here is Chelsea Ross. The actor Chelsea Ross is in three of my movies on my list. Uh, he played George and Hoosiers, played Ed Harris, the pitcher, the, the veteran pitcher in Major yep. League. And then he played Rudy in Rudy as the coach Dan Devine. Right. So, yes. I have Chelsea Ross in three of these fucking movies. Yeah. Interesting. What's your, is, what was your number one, Stephen? Well, my number one, uh, since I decided to place Miracle 2, uh, Lane mentioned it, and we've mentioned it a few times here. Uh, what won out for me is the comedy angle. It's just in my blood. Um, yeah. So Bull Durham is my number Beautiful. one favorite because it's just, it's comfort food for me. It's it kind is. of It's kind of the cheers of movies for me because <laughs> I can watch it. It, it's undefeated for me as Friday night entertainment. Hey, you know, yeah. what, what do you want to do? I don't want to go anywhere. Let's just, you know what? Let's open sure. a bottle of wine. Let's find a movie. Shit. If we land on bull Durham, I, I, I'll be, uh, I'll be tickled shitless for, for 90 straight minutes. Cause I, it's just, yeah. it's got everything. It's, it's, it's got great baseball. It's got uh, hysterical performances. Yeah. Great characters. Uh, it's a, it's a great story. It's a fun rom-com. You mentioned I mean, the story. Ron Shelton got a uh, best screenplay Oscar nomination for that, by the way. Yeah, just classic. And, you know, it's also got Robert Wool in it, who's one of my all time underrated favorite comedians. He was in so much great stuff. I mean, if we were going to do a top five sports television shows of all time, Arliss would definitely make it for me. If you've never seen Arliss, anybody yeah. listening, go find it. Good God, was that funny? 
Yeah. It was so fun. And I think in the streaming era, it would have done much better because, you know, back then you had to find an audience to get advertisers mm-hmm. and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, yeah, I can put Bull Durham on any time of the day or night, watch it at any point and, en- and just enjoy the hell out of myself. So that's probably that that's going to be my number one right there. You know, it's interesting because I consider and, you know, give you five rules of the top five today, you know, come the weekend, I'd probably have three new ones in the top five. <laughs> right. I know. You know, it's just, it's just, just it's, so many movies. Yeah, it's 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 always evolving, man. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. What do you throw me one number one, and then we'll jump into the uh, last segment here of five random ass questions and and this uh, awesome show that this has been, man. This has been a lot of fun. Well, I already had Miracle number one, so oh, that's we, right. You said Miracle. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Miracle number one. That's a which was just an amazing story. I mean, you just get right down to it. I mean, the movie was well done, but but the story mm. was something that just it shouldn't have happened exactly. and it did and it, i know be, and that just tells you that you know anything is possible and that's why when we talk about the browns in 2021 anything is possible absolutely because well, you're talking you're looking at a you know 1980 hockey team that was just obliviated by russia mm-hmm. and, and and to accomplish what they did is incredible just, yeah, it's, it's one would say it's a fucking miracle, Abe. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a story you cannot write. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That was and it. Go ahead, it Steve, has sorry. a thing. I, I just because I've said this with you on the pod, uh, uh, Andy, and I've said it a few times over the years too. And it's one of the things I really love about this front office. To bring it back to a Browns discussion, one of my favorite lines in Miracle Lane is, "Well, you're missing some of the best players." I'm not looking for the best players. I'm right. looking for the right ones. Yeah. And it feels to me like this front office has that as their backdrop because they draft people. Uh, the specific pick where this always comes up is Anthony Schwartz. They knew they needed speed. And yeah. so, yes, he's got you know limitations in his route tree and he's occasionally inconsistent hands and all the stuff that people said, but they definitely needed deep speed and they drafted him with the specific, at least I think, they drafted him with the specific purpose of running nine routes especially as a rookie all the time so is that something that you can see in this front office am i am i on the right track and seeing how they approach it yeah i yeah i would say i would agree with that you know you know it's interesting how they want to put the pieces together and how they're constructing what they're doing yeah and it's you know it's just it's you know it's it's interesting to see them just do work because you know you're, you're looking at a construction that is different than what this organization with, you know, different people sitting at the top of the pecking order are done. Sure. You know, so it's, it's just going to come down to, you know, fulfilling that dream. <laughs> Kids until, <laughs> until we get there, keep watching a lot of these underdog sports movies, man. It'll give you that. It'll put you in that mindset. It'll, I used to do that all the time, man. Like before, like a big, like, like the Indians playoffs, I would watch like Rocky one before like game two of the world series. So like just right. for luck, I'm like nostalgic <laughs> like that. Yeah, I've all I've always done shit like that. Oh man! All right, let's let's do this one last segment, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, I know Steven's ready to fucking roll. He's got stuff to do. Lane, you're a busy I have man. No life. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> all, right. all right, one of my favorite things about doing this show is doing the five random ass questions, where I just ask our guests uh, random ass things. Could be about the Browns. Most of the questions are not going to be Browns related. But you never know. We might throw in one here and there. And actually, Stephen, you helped out with the number five question. So I appreciate you for helping me out with that. Mm -hmm. All right, Lane, are you ready? These are for you, buddy. Five random ass questions. 
Let's light this bitch up. All right. This I know this is one of your favorite parts. <laughs> All right. Number one, just a basic question. Just ba- I'm just kind of curious. Uh, what is the perfect Lane Atkins breakfast? Oh shit. Yeah. Ah. Perfect breakfast for you, my friend. Oh, it's gotta be bacon. It's gotta yes. be eggs. Yes. Uh I'm an eggs and meat guy too. Every day. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm bacon and eggs guys sometimes french toast sometimes pancakes sometimes toast sometimes biscuits and gravy oh that's my favorite i'm uh, on keto and i can't be eating that but that's my favorite know, breakfast yeah. food for sure me too that's why i forgot what biscuits and gravy are <laughs> but you can eat all the bacon and eggs you like on keto absolutely like every day i pretty much my breakfast it's usually diced onions diced jalapeno diced tomatoes and then i add i Am I the only per? I can't be the only person. Am I? I can't be the only person that cuts bacon with scissors, right? I can't be. It's so easy, guys. You just take. <laughs> I'm swear. Just have a pair of scissors you use for food only, and just That's- it's so because when you think about because it, it's so greasy and it's it, bacon so sl- slippery. It's you're so, so fucking you're so fucking domesticated, man. I, I am. <laughs> it's so hard to cut bacon with a knife. I'm Look telling for a, you, scissors for a chainsaw. <laughs> I take I take two strips of bacon and stack them on top of each other, and I just take scissors and just go little strips all the way down. So much easier and so much more efficient. I'm just going to throw that out there. But anyway, uh, is, is efficiency a thing for breakfast? I'm just going to say you're, sometimes you sound like a Martha Stewart. You know, if you if you cut bacon, get, you can make I it daily. Listen, man, I want to eat this shit. I don't want to stand there and cook it for an hour. I want to eat it, and if I can speed it up. By three minutes, by using scissors to cut my bacon, then damn it, I'm going to <laughs> slicing his pork, baby. <laughs> oh, this breakfast I made today, I had uh, uh, scissor cut bacon, uh, onions, tomatoes, jalapenos, all diced, and then my dad. I went over to my dad's for Father's Day yesterday. He had smoked ribs. I cut off some of that and chopped that up and mixed mm. that all up, and then just threw That's a couple nice. couple over easy eggs over it. Oh, it's delicious. All right, number two. What is the uh, all right, Lane? Here we go. This is this is one about your life as a Browns insider for the OBR. What's the fun, funniest, and most outrageous scoop you've ever obtained from one of your sources? Uh, really that you can tell us about. Yes, yeah. obviously. <laughs> yeah, or if it's I... something you can't tell us about, you know, leave names <laughs> out. No one's yeah. listening. They listen. <laughs> well, there is. There is one about some guys driving golf carts into a little lake at a resort area, but uh, we'll do the names out of that. This was before social media where, you know, <laughs> players went out and did shit right. and, and had somebody <laughs> get them out of shit. <laughs> so wait, they were at a golf course and they drove their golf court golf carts into a pond at, at said at, golf court at night. <laughs> <laughs> I no love, names, please. Oh man. <laughs> With this can you specify what decade this happened? <laughs> 80s or 90s? 
Uh, it's the 80s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I heard they partied hard back then, and apparently on that golfing trip, uh, on that nightly yeah. golfing trip, they partied hard as well. <laughs> That's a fucking good one. God, who? There was that? always some kind of shit going on back then. <laughs> oh, man. Man, that's funny. Yeah. No, not, no. Now, nowadays, you got an iPhone up your ass, so you can't yeah. do anything. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't, you can't drive golf carts into golf ponds in the middle of the night. Fucking, I tell you. This climate what we live in. What is this coming to? <laughs> Goddamn cancel culture. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. I really enjoyed that one. That was like the best part. I, I, I wanted something random and goofy like that, Lane. And as always, you deliver, my friend. Thank oh, you. you're going to get random. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got, a, I got a movie question for you. We'll keep the movie theme going. Um, in your opinion, Lane, what is a better Schwarzenegger movie? Predator from 1987 or The Terminator from 1984? Which one do you think oh, is a shit? I like which both. one do you? I know. <laughs> Me too, buddy. And you know what's Predator. funny? Predator, Predator. Yes. You, know, you know, I lean that way too. I do. And I tell you, as far as the Terminator goes, I tell this to people all the time. They look at me like I'm nuts. And it goes back to what I was, we were all talking about earlier, but a movie can be what you think it ever is. Exactly. I'll tell you, Terminator, why it, well, its main genre is obviously science fiction. And then I mm-hmm. would say action after that. Right. That movie is part horror. And I'm telling you, oh. because that movie, that movie is a slasher. That's yes. what that movie is. He's going to, right? So it made an easy decision for me because it's a horror flick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then you go Predator, which is, a, you know, it's definitely an action film. But that movie's part horror, too, man. There's a yes. monster alien hunting them yep. and slashing them up one by one. It just yeah. so happens you got the, you know, you've got the cheesy 80s action Arnold in there, which I love. Um, but yeah, so you would go Predator? Is that Predator's right? badass, yeah. Yeah, I love them both, but I would probably, I, I, I'd probably say, I, I know I'm in the minority here, but I would say Predator might be my favorite yeah. Schwarzenegger it's... film. Where you come out on this, Stephen? Predator or Terminator? I would lean uh, Terminator. Yeah, uh, can't blame you. Because awesome. just, I think probably because of my age, I was 14. And so, you know, as a teenage yeah. boy, that movie and my group of friends yeah. just thought it was like the greatest thing ever. So it was it huge was. for me and my, in my, you know, uh, my group that I hung out with and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. What Be- you- best Schwarzenegger movie for me, favorite, let's say not best, just favorite. I probably true lies. Yeah. It's my favorite Bill Paxton performance in that yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's true lies. Yeah. True lies. James Cameron, James, film. James Cameron. I yes. mean, you know, even if you don't like the rest of the movie, the Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie you know, Lee Curtis. strip scene, I mean, that's worth it right there. Yeah, she's fantastic <laughs> in that. I mean, she's come on. That too. That's worth it. She's a tremendous actor, and I don't want to take anything away, but, you know, I'm a guy. So yeah. that oh, scene and, and she's was like, worth the price of admission. She's like early myself. 40s there, too. And, man, oh. she looks beautiful. Absolutely. Trading places. <laughs> yeah, right? Trading places is another one. Yeah, <laughs> you were saying the Terminator in 1984. What a year for movies that was. You had the Terminator, you had Karate Kid, yep. you had uh Ghostbusters, you Ghostbusters. had Gremlins. Uh there's more. I just can't even think of the top of my head. Oh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, my favorite horror film of all time. I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, 1980 <laughs> Romancing the Stone 1984 as well. I think so. Great film. I, yeah, and there was a- that trio put together for the first time was uh, their magic, the yeah. three of them together. 
Look it up, man. 84 was a sick year for film, man. It really, really was. All right. Awesome. All right. Number, uh, let's see. Number four. All right, Lane, I want you to name, I want you, I'm going to give you a quote from a football player and I want you to name, I want to see if you can guess who this player is. <laughs> I, I doubt this. <laughs> no, actually, I think you're, you're going to get this. Huh? I think you're going to get this. Who said this quote? I think he's good because his name is really cool. He wears number 21. I think he's light skinned, so he probably gets a lot of girls. The silence is deafening. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's good because his name is really cool. He wears number 21. I think he's light skinned, so he's probably so he probably gets a lot of girls. I'll give you one hint. It was be it was a, an imposing player getting ready for a matchup against the Browns. Oh, Jesus. Opposing player fire, fire it away because I'm not going to get this. It uh. was actually from this past January. I believe the quote was given on January 6th by Juju Smith Schuster uh, when asked what he thought about Denzel Ward. <laughs> well, that, that, that tells you all you need to know right there because the last, <laughs> the last thing I pay attention to is TikTok. Fuck. <laughs> TikTok fuck. Dude, Juju is what is. You know what? I look. I I'm sorry. Like I read this and I I just can't help but laugh because is he is he just like he's obviously trying to be funny and different here. I mean, there's no other explanation. What you know, I'm sure I'm sure I heard that quote, but it's just so stupid. I mean, I just <laughs> wait. It, just, it doesn't compute, man. I, it just doesn't so, so work for me. So the question was, what do you think of Denzel Ward? And his response was, I think he's good because his name is really cool. He wears number 21. I think he's light-skinned, so he probably gets a lot of girls. That where, was where, his answer. Where does, where, does, where does Schuster play? Yeah, you ain't lying. Enough said. Yep, beautiful. All right, number... <laughs> Dude, I you know why I threw that one in? I somehow that quote because it is a funny fucking quote it, it popped up on my twitter timeline the other day and i was like yeah i forgot about this shit's funny Burn all right that fucking timeline <laughs> all right number five and we'll 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 uh end this uh episode 15 of not the same old browns podcast this was one steven uh put together for me um it says if you could change the outcome of one cleveland sporting event in your lifetime what would it be yeah, Stephen brought the fucking thunder with this one. Uh, wow, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm torn. I I don't know if it would be the '86 or '87 Browns losses or the two Indians World Series losses. Yeah, both game sevens. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, I would say the Indians because it was just so much closer. I mean, it was in their grasp, and. Which one, 97 or 2016? Oh, my God. I'm just, I'm just seeing Jose Mesa. Oh, it was sick. Blow my head off. Yeah. And uh, they, they were bringing in the champagne and the plastic, and the inning's not even over you know, yet. It don't matter. It's 97 or 16. It, it, it was there for both of them, and they just, they just lost. Yeah. And since, since they were that much closer to winning it all than, say, the Browns in 86 and 87, I, I would have to say those Indian games. Ooh, baby, I'm that's right exactly there. where we came down to. We were like, and yeah. for the same reason, for the yep. exact same reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Steven had 2016 and I, I, I'm 97, but both are just as pretty much just as painful for sure. I mean, 
I mean, you look at the 97 game and it, it was oh. theirs. It was, oh, it was, I mean, it, it was just theirs. Mm. And should have never wow. taken out Mike Jackson. Yeah. Wow. God, he had a good wow. year that year too. Mike Jackson. Nah, and was, in that playoffs, he was dominant. Best tremendous. setup man in baseball that year. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. But there's bright days ahead, kids. Let me tell you. <laughs> I can't wait to get this season rolling and training camp rolling. Uh, July 27th when training camp starts, right? Isn't that the big date? I believe it's the 27th. 27th, I think so too. I think yeah. they report the 26th or something like that. And yeah. The shit starts the 27th. Well, shit, man. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun season. I'm just uh I'm very grateful to be able to take this show over to the OBR and Lane, you were instrumental on helping and making that happen. So just know from me that I appreciate you so much for that. Um, thanks again for uh, not only coming on in episode seven with me and starting on kicking off your podcast world tour. Um, thanks again for joining us today and just uh, during these dead times, the dead zone of Brown's calendar. Uh, we ate, we were able to for nearly almost two hours think of content to talk about to, for Brown's fans to talk about. And you were great as always. I appreciate you, friend. Yeah, appreciate coming on. I had a good time, Andy. Steven, it's been real. I'm sure we're going to do it again. Yeah, and anytime. Yeah. Oh, uh, fuck. The plan is pretty much, I, I think, Lane, once the season starts, obviously, it's like we were talking earlier. The, the topics are given to you on a silver platter. And, and, you know, during the season, even me, as much as a person that loves to listen to, you know, likes to listen to Brown's content during the season, I personally like to hear stuff about the game. So, you know, I'm gonna yeah. I'm, I'm gonna do it where we mix in the whole OBR staff. Have one of you on at once, two of you on at once. Maybe I, I, during the season, I would love to have you and Fred on together, uh, a couple at least a couple times. Um, but I want to go through, you know, everyone and get everyone. And yeah, you're gonna be a regular here. And honestly, man, there's gonna be times where Steven can't make it. I'm gonna have to find a co-host. You're gonna be my first ass. So. Um, you're going to be my first one to say, Hey, come on with me. Um, but uh, I appreciate you lane. Thanks again for everything that, uh, and me coming over to the OBR. I'm just, I'm excited, man. I can't believe it's going to be this season that I can't believe this season is upon us. And I'm part of the OBR now. It's just, it's, it's mine. now. It's just, Oh, I'm just, I'm just grateful. Oh, you know, something it's, it was one of those things that was meant to be. I mean, we, yeah. you know, we talked and it yep. just shit happens. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, your show's terrific. And, you know, it's housed now in a terrific place with a bunch of really good people. And, yep. you know, things are, things are just going to continue to get better. Now, just make sure Steven's ass is in that chair every week. So we don't have to have any, any bullshit here. <laughs> I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to call for the call for the call to the bullpen and get you, get you out here. If you've, uh, well, I, 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 I got to I got to get all this out of my system now before we get back into football mode, because you know, I, I tend to not drop bombs of words here and there. So sure. much, more, much more politically correct come the end of July. Maybe I get that. I, I just have to say, this is our first, um, uh, episode uh, with me as the co-host and I am already a little uncomfortable with the amount of discussion about my ass. I, I just <laughs> like, it's already reaching a point where I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable with it. So, you know, so, says not. the guy with the smile from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs>
He's got that why so serious cut on his face right now. I don't, know, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is audio only. I have no idea. What <laughs> well, I appreciate you, appreciate you, Lane, again for joining us, Stephen. This is awesome. This is the second show that we've co-hosted together. First time we've had a guest. And uh, I'm looking forward to just keep working and collaborating with you two and uh, everyone at the OBR. And shout out to the listeners, man. If you're in, uh, number one, we just appreciate you. Um, Be sure to check out the links in the description. It'll have all the platforms where you can find the podcast. It'll have the OBR website so you can subscribe uh, to the OBR and find all the juicy nuggets that Lane is dropping in uh, Rumor Central along with uh, Brad Stainbrook, who drops some really good stuff in there, too. Um, and you can find all the socials, uh, for Steven and myself. And if you're enjoying the podcast and you're listening on Apple podcast, uh, leave the show a five-star review. It definitely helps, helps that algorithm helps it get out there to more people that might enjoy this content. And also another way you can help is just, you know, retweet the tweets, uh, when, when episodes drop, retweet the tweets, uh, share the podcast with your friends and family, help get it out there. Uh, that all the, all those little things go a long way so but uh we appreciate you guys steve you got anything else to add before we get out of here no it's just uh this is i i just can't wait for this year i, I just I can't know, wait man. it's so it, it, it's painful we're gonna have to come up with things to talk to but luckily we only have about another month before training camp starts so right and you and i you know you've been writing comedy for 30 years i like to think i can come up with decent content so I, I think we'll be fine. We just got to survive these next <laughs> these next like three or four episodes before shit starts rolling. Um, but uh, thank you again to all you guys, and thank you to your to, to all you listeners. Um, that'll be uh, it for episode fifteen of Not the Same Old Browns podcast, presented by the OBR. We will see y'all next week. Go Browns, baby! Ooh, 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 ooh.